so much to get to. The House has voted to send $40 billion to Ukraine. $40 billion? Are you kidding me? And many Republicans voted in favor. The country is on the verge of bankruptcy. I don't mean Ukraine. I mean the United States. We're becoming a third world country. We don't have baby formula. The, the shelves are empty. You cannot get baby formula. We're going to get to all that unless you're an illegal migrant and then you'll get all the baby formula that you want. But we're spending, we're sending 40 billion to Ukraine. We're on the, I mean, how can you justify that? It's incomprehensible. The United States is now a third world country. Gas prices are soaring out of control. The cost of bread, the cost of cheese, milk, basic groceries, you need to be wealthy to afford these things. And it's all preventable. We all, we told you this was happening. The baby formula, it turns out that was preventable. Jen Psaki even admits that they've known about this thing for months and months, did nothing to prevent it, nothing to ensure that there's baby formula because they really don't care, frankly. Anything related to families or babies, the Democrats really could not care less. But let's begin, of course, with the Lufthansa flight that everybody is buzzing about. This Lufthansa, this disgraceful, I mean, this the anti-Semitism, the blatant, vicious anti-Semitism of this German airline, Lufthansa, banning this huge group of from Jews, huge group of Haredim from the, their connecting flight. They were in Frankfurt. They're flying from the United States to Frankfurt, Germany. Then they were on their way, of course, to the Kever of Rav Shaila, uh, to Kerestir, and you had a couple of people, they admitted on video, you had one or two Jews not wearing masks, one or two Yidin, one or two Haredim who were not wearing masks, and they decide to ban 130, 130 Jews, target everybody and admit it and say on video that one or two, that everybody in the group has to pay for the, 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 the actions, the behavior of one or two. I mean, imagine if this were black people. Can you imagine? Imagine if you had two black passengers on an airplane who decided not to wear their masks, and then the airline announced, all right, we're banning 100 blacks from their connecting flight. We're taking every black who was on that plane, 100 African Americans, and sorry, but you're not allowed on your connecting flight. Why? Because there were two black people who refused to put on their masks. That made problems for us, and now we're going to punish all of you. I mean, there would be... Riots. Can you imagine the BLM riots? And then you had a Lufthansa supervisor literally being questioned about this and admitting it on video. Yeah, you know, all you Jews have to pay because of the behavior of two of you, of one or two of you. It's just literally blatant. And you're going to tell me, listen, why didn't those two Yidin, why did they not wear masks? We've seen Jews on flights. Why not just comply with the rules? We know it's annoying. We know how crazy it makes you. But like... Just wear the mask. Okay, fine. We can discuss that. That's a fair point. That doesn't in any way excuse or condone this disgraceful behavior by these German anti-Semites at Lufthansa. But I do want to mention a slightly different angle. And that is, and I look, not at all, again, not at all to diminish. I mean, this is egregious what happened here. But And I, ho- and I hope there's a lawsuit and I hope Lufthansa settles and I hope that these people get millions of dollars from Lufthansa, and Lufthansa gets punished. But, and by the way, Lufthansa has now apologized to the chief rabbi of Berlin, as we're going to get to in a moment. What did the chief rabbi, that's very nice, but like, why not apologize to the passengers who you punished and who you banned? But here's my angle, is are we surprised? Is anybody surprised by this? And if you are surprised, you should not be surprised. Again, it doesn't condone it in any way, but just hear me out here. It's important to recognize that this is how 
non-Jews feel about Jews, whether they say it or not, whether they act on it or not. But it's important to realize this is how they think of us. Because if you don't realize right now that the world hates Jews, you're living in a cave. And uh, again, does that mean everybody hates Jews? No. But a lot of people do. I mean, Chazal said it, Halacha Esav Sainiyaz Yaakov. So I'm saying to myself as follows, I'm saying to myself, how many other airlines are thinking what Lufthansa is thinking, but they just know better than to act on it. They don't want to have a scene. They don't want to have a lawsuit. In other words, are there plenty of other airlines out there that are secretly saying, oh, those Jews, I saw two Jews not wearing masks. There were 100 Jews on the flight, but I saw two Jews not wearing masks. And they get angry at those two Jews and they're anti-Semites. Oh, the Jews, the Jews. Now, maybe they're not going to ban Jews from the flight because they know better because they don't want a lawsuit and they know somebody's going to video it, put it on social media. But I think that any company right now, there's going to be a lot of employees who have disdain for Jews. This just this is just an example where they're actually showing it. The other companies, the other non-Jews, they hide it. They, 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 they keep it more secretive. I'm, look, you can disagree with me, but I think it's so clear that we, we have to just recognize, and if you think, well, we're, but we're going to solve it, we're going to fix it. Just uh, some of the, They're all anti-Semitic in some way, or most of them are. I don't want to generalize. Most of them are. And, you know, we should not be surprised. Just expect it. And the words of Chazal are immortal. Halacha, Esav, Sainayas, Yaakov. And this is just a wake-up call. Like, if you think, and again, what, what do we do about it? I don't know. Just be careful. I mean, watch your back. I don't know what we do about it. I don't think there's anything really that can be done about it. But it's out there, and the thing is awareness, and to recognize it, and not to all oh, Lufthansa's anti-Semitic. They're all anti-Semitic, but Lufthansa showed it. Lufthansa acted on it, and and that's obviously a much, much, much bigger deal. Now, as I said, Lufthansa apologized. So somebody on Twitter said, Lufthansa, they saw a Jew not wearing a mask, so they kicked all the Jews off the flight. So then they got all this backlash. So what did they do? They found a third completely unrelated Jew and apologized to that Jew, the chief rabbi of Berlin. It's really just disgraceful. And as I said, they have already filed a lawsuit, um, these passengers. So we'll have to see. I'm, I imagine that it'll be settled, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. The White House has basically stopped using the Oval Office for media events. As, as long as I can remember, for decades and decades, the Oval Office was where they held media events when, let's say, the president hosts foreign leaders or hosts guests to the White House or when the president you know, has other kind of these events that they have. It's not always in the Oval Office, but very often media events take place in the Oval Office or, you know, at the very least, if, if the president himself is addressing, the media is, addre- is addressing the American people, they do it from the Oval Office. Not anymore. Why is that? Because they can't install a teleprompter. It's too difficult, logistically, whatever reason, to install a teleprompter for Biden in the Oval Office. And, of course, they would never let him go off script. They would never let Biden address the media without staring at a teleprompter. I mean, when the man orders his breakfast in the morning, he does it off of a teleprompter. So now what they do is they have a fake stage. They literally have – they have staged the White House – it's not in the White House. When Biden hosts a media event in the White House, it's not actually in the White House. There's a there's a building next door, a facility next door to the White House where they're hosting these events. They have a fake White House stage set up so it looks like the White House, but the, the room is situated in such a way that there's a teleprompter that's installed there permanently that's very easy for Biden to read. You can't make this stuff up. So it, this just goes to show us. Everything that Biden does is staged and scripted because if he ever says anything, and he does occasionally, 
And, and that's how you know he's telling the truth when he goes off prompter. You know, when he said he didn't think the sanctions were actually going to work to deter Putin. Uh, he actually believed that. He, he, that. That's actually – he was actually telling the truth. And it's despicable that they put on these sanctions and they just did it as a sham because they knew that it wouldn't work. Biden was telling the truth. And when Biden said, I'm not going to I'm not going to retaliate if Putin invades, if it's a minor incursion, I'm not going to retaliate. You know, or when Biden said there's going to be a food shortage, it's actually happening right now. And it's terrifying because who knows how much worse it gets. But Biden said, oh, yeah, there's going to be a food shortage. He was not on teleprompter there. He was at some kind of conference at some summit. And he said there's going to be a food shortage. And I took him at his word, and it's actually coming true. But everything he does, they're so scared. I mean, the man, he barely knows what day of the week it is. He barely knows his own name. So they literally have to set up a fake stage. How embarrassing is this? The president of the United States, one of the leaders of the free world, um, literally any time he needs to be on camera, they have to make sure to stick him on this fake stage with a fake version of the White of the White House because they virtually never use the Oval Office anymore because it's too hard to jam a teleprompter in there. I mean, everything he does, it means, is just scripted by his people, and it's it's just a lie. Now, all right, let's get to the baby formula shortage, because here's what's incredible. Number one, we're sending $40 billion, $40 billion to Ukraine. How about you, you spend $40 billion, figure out a way to manufacture a lot of baby formula really quickly because the shelves are bare, and there's actually, there's a ration. They are rationing baby formula. You can't buy more than like two cans of baby formula per family in a lot of these retail stores. It, it, it boggles my mind. I, I mean, this is the kind of stuff you hear about in Indonesia and Pakistan, not the United States of America. Imagine if this were Trump. If this were Trump, he'd figure out a way within three weeks. I mean, the man created a vaccine in in, in warp speed, in warp time, and in 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 in, uh, he, in record time. He created he had a vaccine developed in like. Less than a year, and he kept saying, "Oh, it's going to be around before January 1st. And and the Democrats said, "Oh no!" The media said, "No, Trump, he's exaggerating as always." And in December, they were rolling out a vaccine. The pandemic started to spread in March. It's unheard of. So, whatever your thoughts are on the vaccine, he did it, and and he could do it with almost anything. I mean, he did it with ventilators. He did it with you know with, with these respirator masks, whatever. So Trump, he, he can get anything done that he puts his mind to. You know, I believe within reason. I don't want I don't want to overstate it. Oh, anything you really believe, he can do anything. I believe that he's quite—he's been quite successful when he wants to be. But uh, with Biden, I don't even think that he's even—he even cares that there's this massive shortage of baby formula, unless we're talking about illegal migrants. Because you know there are pallets. This has been reported on multiple news outlets, uh, the, in, including not such crazy right-wing uh, news outlets that uh, they actually have pallets of baby formula lined up at the southern border. Illegals, illegals crossing the border. We wouldn't want them to be without baby formula. Of course, they're crossing with children because they know that if they cross with children, then they allow, they're allowed right in because we're never going to separate parents from children. So the children are allowed in so the parents can join them. That's the whole that, – that, that is the game. So um, they're giving them out free baby formula. The, the, the U.S. government, you have people right now, American citizens with little babies who are, who, who are in danger of starving because they can't have baby formula. You have people literally – creating their own concoctions of baby formula, which I'm told is dangerous, or diluting baby formula, or trying to feed kids solid foods. The kids are not ready for solid foods. And if you're an illegal who crossed the border illegally, congratulations, you got the jackpot. We're going to give you free baby formula. It's, it, it is just unconscionable. 
And here's the thing is imagine if this happened under Trump, how they'd be blaming Trump. This is 100 percent Biden's fault. Number one, he's the president. So he's he's responsible no matter what. But number two, they actually knew they closed down a plant. This is for a number of reasons, this baby formula shortage. But it's mostly because of the supply chain and because the government had to shut down Abbott plants, Abbott manufactures a lot of the baby formula and there was some kind of bacteria that was found in one of the plants it's been shut down for months why they can't reopen it after months i have no idea but biden knew about all this they knew about the supply chain they knew about all of this so uh, this is like a hundred percent something that biden could have prevented in fact jen psaki admitted that biden's been working on the baby formula shortage for months well maybe she thought she was saying something positive but that's actually that actually Puts egg on his face. That actually is the most embarrassing part of all this is that there's a baby formula shortage and Biden knew about this for probably the last six to ten months and he's even tried and failed. And if this were Trump, here's how I know they'd be blaming Trump because Trump got blamed for COVID. And by the way, Biden gets a pass on COVID. We just reached – it's a tragic milestone. It's an unspeakable milestone and I know some people poo-poo the numbers. But by their own count, okay, you'll tell me the count is not accurate because many people, they died with COVID but not from COVID. I get it, as you know, you know, but um, I understand that, that, that perspective very, very clearly. But their own count is over a million deaths, over a million American lives have been lost to COVID. That's what, that's what the establishment, that's what the government, they're saying. Most of those were under Biden, not under Trump. They blame Trump. Trump didn't even have a vaccine. Trump didn't have any treatments. Biden has also, there are all sorts of therapeutics, all sorts of treatments now. They know so much more. And yet Biden gets a total pass, and yet they blame Trump for COVID. It makes absolutely zero sense. They're complete hypocrites. Now, COVID was a pandemic that came from China, almost definitely leaked out of a lab, and they blame Trump. They blame Trump for COVID. COVID is like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a disease. It's a sickness. It's a pandemic, and it came from China. China, by the way, Trump has done everything he could to crush China. Trump is literally China's number one enemy. And yet, so like Trump is the furthest thing you could possibly blame, furthest person you could possibly blame for COVID. They managed to blame him for COVID. COVID is a sickness. It's not within the purview of the president of the United States. And they blame him for it. And uh, and he were talking about baby formula, which is something that's manufactured, which is directly result of the supply chain. The supply chain is 100% something that Biden and Buttigieg have been irresponsible about and have just completely, completely failed to manage, even though it's been known about. And there were, there were great solutions for the supply chain. They could have invested some money. They could have had opened up the ports more, could have put, you know, paid workers a lot of money, all these billions that we're sending to foreign aid to other countries. So there are so many solutions for the supply chain issue, but they don't care. I'm telling you, I'll say it again and again. The only explanation, there are so many issues with the economy, with inflation, with oil, with gas, all these shortages, all these issues with supplies that Biden could be fixing and could be preventing. And he's not. It's because these are not these are not the smartest people in the world, but they're not dumb people. They know that the more supply that you pump into the economy, the the lower inflation becomes. You know, the the the, the lower the value, the greater supply. The price goes down. So they're not doing it because they're trying to tank the economy because they want to spread – they want a crisis because they want to spread socialism. They want more social programs, more stimulus money, and eventually universal basic income. That's what it's all about. And now they're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, and yet they can use that money to make sure that babies don't actually starve. Now, how do they justify – how about these Republicans? Remember they wouldn't spend a dollar on a border wall. Remember Trump for years begged for a border wall. The Republicans were in charge of the House and the Senate, Paul Ryan. So they could have given Trump the money to build a border wall, and they refused, not just the Democrats, but the Republicans too, because we can't spend money 
to protect the southern border, right? Democrats, they won't even spend money on the U.S. military. They're spending money on lethal aid to Ukraine and on military aid to Ukraine. They're not, they, they, they won't spend money on military aid to the United States. Now, this $40 billion, you understand, this goes to waste. This $40 billion is not going to – there's no way – there's no oversight. There's no way to possibly ensure that this money is spent properly, that this money is used to bring down Putin. I'm sure a few bucks are going to be used for Ukrainian weapons. Obviously, the Ukrainians, they want to win this war. But this money, you know, billion, you're handing billions of dollars. Ukraine right now is a wasteland. You're giving Zelensky and his people $40 billion. There's going to be billions of dollars in cash flying or floating around. Where's that money going to go? That money, they're going to hoard it. It's going to go to these corrupt and, – and Ukraine was corrupt in the best of times. Now it's a war zone. It's completely corrupt. So this money is not going to get spent in any beneficial way at all. This is throwing the money in the garbage even if it would be helped. Let's even assume that it would help Ukraine. We can't. We have. We, we're thirty trillion dollars in debt. There's like a one point two trillion dollar budget deficit or more. We do not have this kind of cash to send to you to send to Ukraine. So the, and and it's just it's a complete waste. How did they justify it? And they won't invest any of this money to the U.S. border or or any other needs that the United States has, or to fix the supply chain, or to fight inflation, or anything else. And I have to believe what a lot of people are saying. There are kickbacks. There's military contractors. This $40 billion is going to somehow make its way back to the people in Congress who voted for this thing, uh, either through kickbacks or through donations, campaign donations or something along those lines. And every American should be completely outraged about this. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. It is completely inexcusable to send $40 billion to Ukraine right now at this moment. Okay, so Elon Musk, of course, is buying Twitter, and heads are already starting to roll. They've already fired a couple of top executives. The CEO is firing executives. They've suspended all hiring. They're basically saying to Elon Musk, listen, we know you want to come in here and clean house. So obviously the CEO of Twitter realizes that if he actually kind of complies with Elon Musk and decides to actually allow freedom of speech instead of all the censorship and all the banning – and, uh, you know, that that's in his best interest because then maybe Musk will actually keep him on. And now Elon Musk has said that, you know, he's going to reinstate President Trump's Twitter account. Now, does President Trump, he has Truth Social right now. He has over 2 million followers on Truth Social. And President Trump has started posting um, social media posts. They call them truths on Truth Socials. I don't know if Trump wants Twitter, but, you know, and Elon Musk's Twitter is a whole different kind of Twitter. And Elon Musk is saying he's going to get rid of the algorithm. That algorithm is basically a fancy word for censorship. But here's the thing amazing about Elon Musk and Trump, and there are other businessmen out there, these billionaires, right, where they are not conservative. I want to explain this. Elon Musk, he is conservative, but it's because it's common sense. And I pointed this out before about Trump. Elon Musk is not somebody who's like, been a conservative for all these years. He's not Rush Limbaugh. You know, he's not Ted Cruz. It's not like Elon Musk for years and years has been this ideologue and a conservative and somebody who says, oh, I believe in small government and I believe in the right wing and I, you know, politically speaking, I believe in lowering taxes and securing the border. Elon Musk, he's never really gotten involved in politics. He's a businessman. And look, he makes electric vehicles. If anything, I mean, I'm not, I have no problem with electric vehicles. Teslas are a good, 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 uh, Good company. Tesla's a very good company. They make excellent cars, but like nobody considers, uh, you know, uh, electric vehicles to be like a right wing type of product. So Elon Musk, the reason he became conservative, he said he put this out in a tweet saying, you guys got so far to the left. I just stayed center. Elon Musk, he stayed in the middle. 
But the 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 the, the liberals have gotten so out of whack, have they moved so radically far to the left that if you stay in the middle right now, you're really, really close to being a conservative to, to the Republican Party, which is which is amazing. I don't mean the, the middle of the road Republicans. I'm talking about the real conservatives. So what's incredible is that people like Elon Musk and Trump, what they start to realize is that if you have common sense, you need to be conservative. I, I can't stand when they say that Trump is like a radical, that he's like this strong like far-right person. Trump is not far-right. Trump is middle of the road. He's just a regular – he's a Reagan conservative. He believes in small government, lower taxes, a strong economy, a secure border, fight, you know, keeping America safe, keeping the military strong, military spending, but not invading other countries for no reason. So you know, Trump and Elon Musk, they've, they, they come to conservatism through their own common sense because they understand it's the best way to run a country. And and that's what I find so amazing is that that to me testifies to how clear it is that being a conservative and believing in small government and believing in things like freedom of speech and liberty is the right way to go because the left, they've just gone so, so crazy. I mean, you know, with the gender stuff and with the censorship. So Elon Musk, he's not conservative, but he finds himself teaming up and he said it. He said it a few days ago. He said Twitter has a liberal bias because it's so – Obvious. It's like there, there literally is no way to, 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 to deny anybody who's just being honest, intellectually honest, just seeing the reality. All right, so Jen Psaki is finally leaving as press secretary. That's the good news. Now, why is Jen Psaki – she's joining MSNBC. Why is Jen Psaki leaving the White House? Because she's jumping ship. She wants to get out of there. The midterms, we're looking at a, a real bloodbath here in November, and it's going to be so humiliating. Biden and his numbers, Biden's approval numbers already are just so abysmal. So Jen Psaki knows that the best thing for her career is to not be associated with Biden any longer than she needs to be. So that's the good news is Jen Psaki is out. The bad news is the person who's taking over is much worse. You know, I never thought that I'd be hoping that Jen Psaki would come back because I can't send Jen Psaki, she dodges the questions, she's phony, she's disingenuous, she talks down like all Democrats. She talks down to anybody who disagrees with her. So Peter Ducey of Fox News, she's condescending to him. He asks her legitimate questions, he asks her tough questions, good questions, and like she talks down in like a mocking tone as though like, you know, she's smarter than anyone else. Now, but the problem is this Karine Jean-Pierre, she's extremely radical and She's not a fan of Israel at all. She has made very, very negative comments about Israel, and I don't think it's Israel she has a problem with. I think it's it's Jews, as I was alluding to earlier with Lufthansa, because listen to some of the things that she has said. This is the first time ever that a White House press secretary is an anti-Israel activist. This Karine Jean-Pierre, I guess she used to be one of the heads of MoveOn.org, which is an extremely, extremely left-wing, radical you know, left-wing uh, website organization. And um, she literally has accused Israel of war crimes, and she supported the effort to boycott the AIPAC conference. AIPAC, they're the big Israel lobby. They have both Republicans and Democrats who they lobby to. This is the largest pro-Israel lobbying group in the United States. And AIPAC, you know, they are not considered radical in it by any stretch. AIPAC, they, 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 you know, Chuck Schumer and uh, you know many, many Democrats – um, appear at the APAC conference. It's only the radicals like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who boycott APAC. So this new um, press secretary of Biden, she, she's aligning with the radical left of the party. Now, 
she actually claimed, this uh, new press secretary, Jean-Pierre, she claimed that APEC has engaged in racist Islamophobic rhetoric. So she's basically saying if you support Israel, you're a racist and you're an Islamophobe, which is totally false, obviously. So to me, she's anti-Jewish. Now, I'm not surprised. Biden, he has been no friend of Israel. Biden has been a disaster when it comes to Israel. His Israel policy, he has been... He has been cruel and vicious to Israel, Biden, in, in, in my opinion. And this is not getting a lot of attention. But Biden has restored funding to the Palestinians. That is pay to slay. They use that money. They use hundreds of millions of dollars a year to pay a stipend to terror to the families of terrorists or to terrorists themselves if they survive an attack. And uh, it, it's, by the way, it's illegal because there's something called the Taylor Force Act. So Biden illegally restored funding to the Palestinians somehow He's able to get away with it because he's Joe Biden. He's a Democrat, so he gets a pass. But he illegally restored funding to the Palestinians. Anthony Blinken and Thomas Nides, the ambassador, they refused to visit West Bank Israeli settlements. Now Biden is insisting that they freeze construction in the Israeli settlements. Biden is telling Israel, I'm not going to come visit if you don't freeze construction totally. And this is not the first time he did this as vice president also under Obama, where he insisted that the Israelis freeze their construction in the settlements, which is outrageous. You know, where can you imagine? And by the way, who cares? Who cares if he visits Israel or not? Does anybody care if Biden actually visits Israel? But here's the State Department said, quote, Israel's program of expanding settlements deeply damages the prospect of a two-state solution. So Biden there, he's acting like Israel's HUD secretary. That's not my line. That is, I once heard Mark Levin say that he said, because Biden as VP, under Obama, he went to Israel and he said, you got to stop. And, and Israel, if, if you've ever seen it, we're talking about the construction of these settlements in certain areas, you know, like Ramat Shlomo. Some of these areas, they're literally part of mainstream Israel at this point. I'm not talking about some far off place in the middle of nowhere. A lot of these cities are well-established cities, even parts of Jerusalem, that they're expanding. So we're talking about this is desperately needed housing in Israel. And Biden walks in. Imagine him walking into France. Imagine him walking into an Arab country and saying, listen, um, imagine him walking into Saudi Arabia or, or you know, or, or – uh, or, or the UAE, the Emirates, and saying, listen, you know, you really can't build in these zones. What, are you the HUD secretary? That's what Mark Levin said. The Housing and Urban Development Secretary? Who do you think you are? You have no right to come in and tell Israel where they can and where they cannot construct. Um, so now, according to reports, the Israelis, they were about to construct 5,800 new units. And because Biden pressured them, they reduced that number to like 4,400. They like, they took away like 1,400 units, you know, to, to try to placate Joe Biden. So, you know, really is outrageous. So Biden has been his, – his policies toward Israel have been cruel and uh, no surprise now that his press secretary, you know, feels the same way. Meanwhile, the terror attacks in Israel are rampant and um, there's no coincidence there. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett is cozying up to the Arab parties. I mean they literally have an Arab party, first time ever. You have, you have Arabs part of the Israeli coalition – and you have Biden funding the Palestinians, and now you have rampant wave of terror here over the last few weeks and months. Tragic. It's unspeakable. It's, what's going on in Israel right now is terrible. And Biden, not to mention how, how much he's been helping Iran, allowing Iran to breach the nuclear deal to develop um, you know, nuclear weapons to, to enrich uranium and having these negotiations where they're eventually going to resume the Iran nuclear deal and they're going to remove a lot of the sanctions from Iran's terror regime. And uh, they're probably going to even take off the label of of terrorist off the uh, off the IRGC. So of course Biden's new spokeswoman is anti-Israel because Biden himself is anti-Israel. Later I'm going to read you some excerpts from an op-ed that was written by Jonathan Pollard, 
who blasted Naftali Bennett's government. All right, I must talk about student loan forgiveness because Biden is going to forgive student loans. It's not official yet, and maybe he won't forgive entire loans. Maybe it'll just be partial forgiveness, but they're going to be forgiving billions of dollars in student loan debt and forgiving. Don't you love that? And it, 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 nothing could be more outrageous. The whole program is a sham. The whole program is just government redistributing taxpayer dollars to give it to the colleges and universities, which then go and indoctrinate these students to be Democrats and liberals. So it's like this self-fulfilling cycle where, all right, we're going to pump government money to colleges. Colleges then raise their tuitions because they get more student loan money. And then the colleges go and brainwash these students to become Democrats, and the whole cycle continues. What I'm saying is 100% fact. Anyway, so they're going to be – Biden has already signaled that he's strongly considering – they're going to use COVID as an excuse, whatever excuse, but they're going to be forgiving. And it's such a sham, forgiving. He's not forgiving. It's not his money. If if he would go and pay for it out of his pocket, then he'd be forgiving. If we owed him the money, well, you know what? You don't have to pay me back the money, but it's not forgiving. Nobody's forgiving. It's forcing the taxpayers – to foot the bill. It's forcing us to cover the student loans that these people took, and now they're not paying it back, and we're going to have to pay for it. It's outrageous on so many levels. And and, and here's the thing. I, I expected this, not just because Biden is, is a radical, but because he's been influenced. They've been hijacked. You see, Ocasio-Cortez and all these socialists, Rashida Tlaib and Elon Omar, they keep talking about it. They keep tweeting about it and putting the pressure on Forgive student loans, forgive student loans. The whole thing is made up. Why should we forgive student loans? And by the way, a lot of the people who are going to benefit, as we're going to explain here, are the wealthier people, people with college degrees, people who have decent jobs, good salaries, and they're going to be forgiven. It's not even going to be income-based. So they're supposed to be helping the poor. They're not supposed to be helping the wealthy. But it's not It's not about that. Oh, student loans, that's a cause that the socialists have adopted because it's just another way to redistribute the wealth. So I, I knew that sooner or later Biden would give in and he'd cave in to these radicals. So they're going to make taxpayers – they're calling it forgiveness. That's a joke. It's not It's not forgiveness. But here's – and here's the problem is when you start to like try to argue, it, it's like, well, what do you mean? Don't you want to forgive people student loans? Don't you want to help people out? Well, is this a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. Well, why not? Don't you think it's a good idea to give out free money? Well, it's like I always say, you know, hey, let's expand Medicaid. Let's expand food stamps. Let's expand all these government programs. Well, why is that a bad idea? What are you, You're so selfish and you're so cruel that you don't want to help people out and give them free stuff? Well, it's called taxpayer dollars, okay? It's called government programs, socialism, where – somebody's paying how do you oppose that right you don't want to feed poor people we're 30 trillion dollars in debt i don't want my kids to live in a country that is bankrupt and i don't want my kids taxes to be like 60 70 percent rate like like they have in norway and finland and these socialist countries so you know it's like well somebody you know going and taking money from somebody and handing it to somebody poor and the guy says give me my money back well you don't want to feed this poor hungry person who's desperate for food i'm not saying you shouldn't be charitable i'm not saying you shouldn't be generous but I don't have a right to take your money and say, hey, I'm going to be generous with your money. The whole the whole concept is crazy. But it sounds all, you know, the, the, the media makes it sound like all glorified and like, oh, this is so generous for giving student loans. Why not? Like, why not? Why wouldn't you do this? But because they never talk about how many billions get are cost to the taxpayers and, and, and all the trillions that we have to borrow. And yeah, yeah that, that, that's what this is about. But these government programs, let me explain. Student loans, the whole thing 
It's really one big fake program because here's the thing. The government lose. it's a loan, right? It's not a loan. The government loses a ton of money. The, the, the interest rates are very low. The deferment rate that people defer for years and years. So you lend this money. Basically, the government, if it would invest that money, if it would take it's, – it's trillions of dollars, the student loan program. If the government would invest that money, they could get solid return on that investment. Instead, they're losing a ton of money because they're lending it out. It's paid for tuition. Then the students don't pay it back for 10 or 20 years sometimes. And they pay it back at a very low interest rate. So the government's making a lot less money when it comes back in than when it went out. Also, there's a massive default rate. The default rate on student loans, not just default. There are so many tricks and loopholes that they can use to not pay it back and or to pay back just a small percentage of their income. They don't end up paying most of it back. The default rate on student loan loans is out of control. It's off the charts. So the government loses a ton of money. The reason they do it, as I explained, is because – the colleges that way can inflate their tuition money because if people had to pay tuition out of pocket, they could never afford the exorbitant. Tuition is hundreds of thousands of dollars, college tuition. But no problem. It's, you get a government loan and that you may never have to ever pay back. So the whole student loan program to begin with is just a way of giving money to the colleges they'd never have otherwise. Then the colleges can inflate their tuition. College tuitions are off the charts, astronomically high. It's because of the student loan program, and then we end up losing money, and there's a major default rate. I'm talking about tens of billions of dollars that are lost because of the student loan program, because of all the students that are defaulting. And now what do they want to do? Now they want to forgive it. Well, what about all these people for all these years and years who have been paying their, their tuitions and had to pay back their student loans? What about people who actually pay out of pocket for their college tuitions? How come they don't get a break? The whole thing is, is totally arbitrary. Meanwhile, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget put out numbers. The plan will cost taxpayers $230 billion. The plan to forgive student loans, at least the current plan that's being debated, deliberated by Biden, is that it will cost – $230 billion to taxpayers, and most of the benefit, two-thirds of the benefit, will go to Americans in the top half of incomes. So think about that. This is not even a socialist program to help the poor. It's a socialist program to help the rich. Two-thirds of the benefit of forgiveness of student loans is going to help top 50% of income earners. How does that make any sense? Also, it's going to increase inflation and increase the cost of higher education. So like people who went to college and got a degree are the ones who are going to benefit the most at the expense of many taxpayers who did not even go to school. So it's incredibly unfair. I want to read you an actual CNN headline. Quote, Musk taking over Twitter, unsettling for many black users. I just It's unbelievable. CNN, there's an actual headline I saw on CNN. Musk taking over Twitter, unsettling for many black users. Users. So, number one, even mentioning race, they always do this. The mainstream media, it's always about black and white. They see everybody. The first thing they do, they look at you. What color are you? What race are you? Are you black or are you white? I don't think that way. That's not how my mind works. But Musk taking over Twitter is unsettling for black users. They're literally trying to race bait. Why is Musk, what is Musk a racist? What's the black users have a problem with freedom of speech? I mean, and I didn't even bother to read the article. I don't care what it says, but somehow they're going to say, that when you allow freedom of speech, you're going to allow all this racist, this racist, tw- these racist tweets to be posted and published, and and, and the white supremacists. That's what they're, they're going to say is somehow by actually letting people like Trump and letting conservatives back on Twitter and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you're, you're you're going to expose blacks to vicious hatred and racism, which is which is it's it's completely outrageous that 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 insinuation by CNN, and, and it's totally false. Meanwhile, more fake news from CNN. You're not going to believe this. CNN reported that as a result of the leaked um, ruling 
the, the leaked draft of a ruling of, by Justice Alito that would uh, reverse Roe v. Wade, this CNN has reported that there are going to be protests against Supreme Court justices by, get this, not people on the left, but by people on the right, by far-right groups. So you cannot make it up. It's totally disingenuous. There have been massive protests. By the way, it's illegal. It is illegal to protest in front of the house of a federal judge if you're trying to get them to change their ruling or to rule a certain way. So it's actually illegal. Um, and yet the FBI, the DOJ, they refuse to crack down because it's leftist liberals that are protesting against right-wing justices about abortion. So, of course, they're not going to crack down. They're not going to arrest them. It's not like we're talking about January 6th and the Capitol breach. But CNN actually reported that it's going to be far-right groups. They said there's going to be protests as a result of the leaked draft. What are the protests? Far-right groups. This is a CNN report on Friday. It never came to fruition, of course. Quote, it could, could lead to right-wing political violence. CNN's New Day reported that police are bracing for potential violence as far-right groups are planning demonstrations. So totally egregious. And by the way, imagine if Trump supporters were protesting in front of Sonia Sotomayor's house about the travel ban or about one of the many issues, you know, about the vaccines or a mask mandate or something like that. Imagine if it were Trump supporters in front of Justice Sotomayor or Justice Elena Kagan. The media would be livid, but here they get a total pass. President Biden got three Pinocchios from the Washington Post, which is very rare for a Democrat. He's been spreading this lie saying that somehow the Republican agenda is to raise taxes. They want to raise taxes. Biden said that the the Republicans want to raise taxes on the middle class. And he actually got blasted by the Washington Post because it's a baseless claim. What what happened is there's one Republican, Senator Rick Scott of Florida, who he has has this plan. He wants basically – he wants everyone to pay their fair share in taxes. He wants the lower half of the country – who doesn't pay any income tax right now. He says they should be paying some some income tax. I mean, we're $30 trillion in debt. That's part of his plan. Now, you can agree or disagree with the plan, but the point is he's the only one, and he admitted it. This is not a Republican plan. But Biden and Psaki have both repeated this lie multiple times, saying, oh, the Republicans, they have this plan. They want to raise taxes on the middle class, and it's completely not true. And the Washington Post gave him, I believe, three Pinocchios. The most is four Pinocchios. Trump used to get four Pinocchios all the time. Trump, if he like forgot what cereal he ate for breakfast, he'd get four Pinocchios. You know, they would say, the Washington Post would say Trump, Trump claimed that he ate Frosted Flakes for breakfast this morning. But it turns out that Trump actually, we checked into this, we investigated and he had Cheerios. He didn't have Frosted Flakes. We give Trump four Pinocchios. Now, uh, interesting story. Jill Biden, uh, President Biden's wife actually opposed, um, Kamala Harris as choice of running mate, as Joe Biden's running mate. I'm so happy about this because she's 100% right. Whatever your politics are – by the way, let me just interject here before I forget. Trump, uh, A Trump-endorsed candidate has won another race. Republican Alex Mooney has won the primary in West Virginia. So Trump is 58 and 1. He, Trump has one loss. I mean this is – he's off the charts. It's unheard of for there to be a politician so influential that – he has the Midas touch. Anything he he endorses wins. So Trump, he's 58-1 and one with this win of Alex Mooney in West Virginia. Um, Trump, he, he has endorsed of the 59 candidates who have had a, a primaries already that Trump has endorsed, 58 have either won outright or moved on to a runoff. Almost all of them have won and like five of them have moved on to a runoff. And one of Trump's endorsed candidates has lost out of 
59. I mean, don't mean astonishing numbers. But anyway, this is according to a new book. Joe Biden, she opposed. She said, I don't want Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris bashed Joe Biden in a, in a debate. And whatever your politics are, this book is written by two New York Times reporters. It's getting published soon. It's called This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. Some some lame, bogus, leftist book. But it says that Jill Biden, she said, why would you choose Kamala Harris? Kamala Harris basically accused Biden of being a racist. Then when she became the running mate, remember they asked her about this. And Biden chose her for one reason, not her qualifications, which are non-existent. She's extremely unpopular. So, like, there was every reason not to choose Kamala Harris. She she dropped out of the race, one of the earliest people to drop out. She was a disaster as a candidate because she's such a phony. And she just laughs. They ask her serious questions. She laughs it off. Like, everything's a big joke. They ask her about the border. They ask her about COVID. She laughs it off because she's totally out of touch with, with, with humanity. She's not a human. But anyway, Kamala, she was chosen because she's a black woman, period. And there weren't enough that many options to choose from. And Joe Biden, she said... To um to the campaign manager, to an advisor of Biden, she said, close. This is according to the book. She said, there are millions of people in the United States. Why do we have to choose the one who attacked Joe? And she's right. Remember Harris, she specifically, she, she questioned Joe Biden. She's right. Joe, Joe Biden was a racist in the 1970s. It's undeniable. I think he's still a racist, all the comments he's constantly making about blacks. Remember, she, he said, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black. That's, that's a racist thing to say. Imagine if Trump said that. So, so Biden used to be buddy-buddy with racist senators who were segregationists who were opposed to school busing. School busing, of course, was fundamental to in, to integrating blacks and whites back in the 60s and 70s. So Kamala Harris, she said, I know you're not a racist, but, you know, I, Mr. Vice President, I know you're not a racist, but, and she was clearly implying that Biden was a racist, which he was, and then she said, that little girl was me, remember? And she had t-shirts made of. She was basically ambushed Biden in, in a debate, and she said, well, there were so many little girls who were taken by buses to these uh, integrated schools. And she said, that little girl was me. So, um, and that was a mem- one of the most memorable moments of these debates. And then Kamala, a few weeks later, dropped out of the race because that was her only shining moment of, a, of, a, of an abysmal, terrible, terrible campaign. So anyway, interesting that Jill Biden opposed Kamala, as she should. You know, it, it, it's so phony when they go and they choose the person, they think, you know, she's black, she's a woman, whatever... Whatever calculations they have, whatever their factors are for choosing a running mate, it's not because the running mate deserves to be chosen. It's because it can help the candidate win, obviously. But it's like it's so phony and it's so insulting and demeaning to the American voter when they go and choose somebody who they who they despise. We know that Biden and Kamala can't stand each other. They, they haven't appeared together in months. They don't have anything to do with each other. And they only, Biden only did it because she was a black woman and he felt it was the politically expedient thing to do. All right, so much else to get to, but we're going to have to – we're, we're, we're late on time here, so we're going to have to leave a lot of things till next time. There, there, there's this movement to stop, to, to, to prevent Republican candidates for Congress because they supposedly encourage the insurrection. There's some kind of rule that, I mean, it's getting struck down. It's not going to work, but they're trying to prevent Marjorie Taylor Greene and other candidates running from con- for, for Congress claiming they participated in the insurrection. It's, 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 it's a completely, it's a pitiful effort. It's not going to work, but we'll have to wait for next time. But one final point here. Jonathan Pollard, the former spy who now lives in Israel, he wrote a scathing op-ed in the Jerusalem Post blasting Naftali Bennett. I don't know if he used Naftali Bennett's name, but blasting the current Israeli government and leadership for the way for allowing this 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 wave of terror and doing way too little about it. And they're completely culpable. So let me read you. I just want to read you some excerpts here from this op-ed quote. And, and apparently there was a version written in Hebrew and in English. 
and uh, this this made a lot of headlines, got a lot of attention in Israel, and um, this is good. This arguably may strongly, severely weaken Naftali Bennett's coalition, the first ever coalition in Israel that includes Arab parties. So here's a here are some quotes here. Quote: We are all suffering on account of a group of intellectually challenged political and judicial elites who have an infinite capacity to tolerate the suffering of our citizens, all the while insinuating that we are somehow responsible for all the violence we are experiencing. I'm waiting for a leader that will put the fear of Hashem into our enemies. Better yet, I'm waiting for a leader who will wipe our enemies off the face of the earth once and for all. He didn't use the term Hashem, you know, for this uh, publication, but, you know, obviously I'm uh, modifying it. Quote, I'm waiting for a leader who will act without any concern about what anybody else outside our country thinks, whether it be the U.S. or the European Union, the U.N., or anybody else who believes they could tell us where we can live or how we are to defend ourselves. We desperately need to get rid of this gullus mentality that prioritizes the need. He actually uses the word gullus, exile, in parentheses, that prioritizes the need to understand our enemies over the security of our people. We simply cannot think like the ten spies who attributed to others what they felt about themselves, namely that they were like grasshoppers. Well, I'm not a grasshopper, and neither are my brothers or sisters in this country. We are the descendants of proud and noble warriors who feared only Hashem, never hesitated to defend our land from some of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. But over many years, our leaders have relentlessly tried to have us forget this fact in favor of our adopting a more liberal postmodernism where we share our land with those who openly seek to destroy us. No more, we must reject this type of cynical defeatism before it kills us. Lastly, we want the army high command to wake up and stop pretending that managing the enemy is an acceptable strategic doctrine. It is not. It's a form of appeasement that preserves our opponents while making us look weak and stupid. So very, very strong and scathing words there by Jonathan Pollard, essentially saying that we're caving in, that the government of Israel has been taken over by a bunch of leftists, by a bunch of liberals, soft, um, bleeding-heart liberals who they only care about what the European Union and the United States think of them and what the media thinks of them, and they basically are going to cave in and allow terrorism to take place because if they're too tough on the Arabs, on the Palestinians, on radical Islam, then they're going to get criticized. They're going to get slammed by the media and by the UN and by the EU and by Biden, and they're afraid. They, they, they want to appease and they want to pander. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.